Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we just started a study through the book of Acts. We're calling it Be the Church, because we want you to be the church. God wants to show us how to be the church in the 21st century. Notice in verse 1, the former account. If you like to take notes, let me just give you a few insights in these first few verses. The former account I made, well, the former account refers to the Gospel of Luke. So you can just write it in your Bibles, the Gospel of Luke. When he says, I made, the He's referring to himself. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. Uh, Luke, the gospel of Luke and Acts, they go together. He wrote to a man by the name of Theophilus. You'll notice there, his name means lover of God. And he wrote about all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he presented himself alive. That refers to the resurrection. Not only did Jesus live and die, but he also rose again, notice. And he was there after suffering by many infallible, infallible, or also you might have a note in your Bible, unmistakable, or you could say reliable. When something's infallible, it's without error. So the the revealing of Jesus after his resurrection was without error, infallible, unquestionable proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so as we study through the book of Acts, I want you to remember that we are reading the true story of a small group of men and women who in the power of the Holy Spirit didn't leave their world the same way they found it. And I think at the heart of our lives, when we get through all the muck and the mire and all the layers of our thoughts, I believe in our depths of who we are, we truly want to make an eternal mark on this world. We want to leave it different. And your world could consist of your apartment building, it can consist of your family, it can be your workplace, it could be the business you own, but to leave an indelible mark for the birth, the death, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, to the point where, as we'll see in the book of Acts, the church was so powerful in their witness that when they came to town, they were, the leaders of the town were concerned that the people that turned the world upside down have come here too. And it's unfortunate in many ways that the world has turned the church upside down so that there's really not a lot of distinction between the two. These were ordinary people. When you read the book of Acts, you've got to realize these people are like you and me. They could be your neighbors in Aurora. They could be your neighbors in Centennial. They could be your neighbors Greenwood Village and Golden, wherever you, this is, these are people just like you. Ordinary people that God used to do extraordinary things. You could say that this is the beginning of the Jesus movement that continues on to this day. But it wasn't done by like the wisdom of man, like you might think today, where we got to all sit down and figure this thing out. We don't need to figure anything out. This isn't the way the church operates figuring things out, applying business principles, trying to, trying to organize something that God intended not to be organized, but to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. 
So it's not intelligent ideas. It's not polished sermons. It's not magnificent marketing. Here's the key. And this is what you want to look for as you're reading through the book of Acts. It is the power and the presence of the Spirit of God in your life. That's it. It's not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. That's his pattern. Now, you can go about it without the Spirit of God. You can make a lot of decisions. But if you really want to see the book of Acts come alive in your life, you've got to yield to the strength and the power of the Spirit. I'll be mentioning this many times, but I want you to remember the book of Acts is the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the people of God. The Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the people of God. And the title of our message today is Making Disciples and Not Consumers. Now, if you step back a little bit, you'll notice that consumerism has invaded your life. It's because of the culture that we're in, where the customer is always right. Anybody that works with customers know that's such a lie. Customers are not always right, but we've adopted that, and we demand that, and we'll write our reviews for that, and you didn't please me, and you didn't do this right. Now, there are certainly situations where somebody did a customer wrong, for sure, but this mindset of the customer's always right, it's come into the church. I mean, maybe this is your first time here, and you're like, checking it out. Use that phrase, I'm checking your church out, Ed. Well, I don't know what you're checking it out for, but there's not much to check out. It's a very simple church. And probably if you have a list of 10 things, we probably won't be able to provide five or six of them. I mean, if that's how specific you are, we're probably not gonna, because we, we, can't, we can't do that. We have to please the Lord. And I know if you get your eyes on the Lord and our eyes are on the Lord, we're gonna hit most of the things you're looking for because God will change them. Like sometimes we want all 10 things on our list to be exactly the way we want them instead of, the five things that we're concerned about are actually points where God wants to disciple you and change you. And so there are people walking around, you know, change this about your church, change this about your church. No, we're not. We're not going to change it. We're going to study the Bible. We're going to sing together. I just want you, I, I, it, to me, to me it, it is remarkable. And we do it all the time, so it, maybe it's not so remarkable. But I want you to consider a typical week in your life. When and where is it that you come together with like-minded people and sing praises out loud to your God. Apart from here, probably nowhere. This is your refuge. This is God has a gathering, wherever your church family might be, God has created a gathering so that you can come and lose yourself. <laughs> lose yourself. Die to yourself. And so in the consumer mindset, you just got to be careful you know, you come into the church, what do you have for me? I'll just say, nothing. We have nothing for you. It's, the question is this, what do you have for the Lord? It's not what have you done for me lately, it's what have you done for the Lord lately? How, how has your life been surrendered in living out your faith? Your faith. And then collectively, because as we look at the church, you're going to learn that the church is actually not just a gathering, not a building. You're the church. I'm the church. So, you know, we have a lot of critics of the church today, a lot of critics. Oh, the American church, oh, the Western church. Yeah, when you say that, go into the restroom and look in the mirror because you're the church. You know, you don't want to mess around with the bride. I'm going to be at a wedding a little bit later today. Nobody's going to be allowed to speak negatively about the bride. Nobody. We'll take them out. We'll tackle them. 
It's going to be up on a hill. We'll roll them down the hill. You don't, you don't speak negatively about the bride at a wedding. Why would you want to speak negatively about the bride of Christ? You know, there's only one bride of Christ. There's not five, not ten. So all of these brothers and sisters that we have that maybe do things differently, maybe making mistakes, whatever it might be, obviously we're going to stand for sound teaching and doctrine for sure. But like, hey, the bride of Christ is to be valued and cherished, and you are the bride of Christ. So we're making disciples. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples, not consumers, not trying to figure out what you want and then give it to you, but rather get your eyes on the Lord so that he can deal with you, that you could follow him. God makes disciples, not consumers. You'll find in this study of the book of Acts, 55 plus times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the book of Acts. Pretty significant. The Holy Spirit is mentioned more times than the miraculous. You know how the book of Acts, if people want to say, I want to get back to the Acts, all the miraculous. Well, the Holy Spirit's mentioned far more in the book of Acts than even the miraculous. The church cannot operate. The church cannot thrive. The church cannot move forward, cannot impact this world without the Spirit of God. We can gather, we can have a building, we can have a budget, people can, gatherings can even grow. But without the Spirit of God, that's not the church. It's just a gathering of people. Now, I want you to step back and consider that the church of Jesus Christ is the cherished bride of Christ. And I love the church. I love our church. I love the ability to be a part of the church, a part of the work that God is doing on the earth today. What a precious gift God has given to us, the church this church, this family of God. And yet, if we chose to unplug from the Holy Spirit, if we have pastors stopped praying, if we have elders stopped surrendering, if we stopped walking in the Spirit, the church would stop. The act of God would end. Because this can't be a work of man. You know, the church, a true church of Jesus is not a work of man. It doesn't surround man. I look at our church, you know, we're not funded by some major grant or some trust fund somewhere, some huge foundation. We're funded by the faithful giving of the tithes and offerings of the people of God. And what I like to tell our team here is the worship money. It's worship money. That's what it is. When I, Marie and I, we, we give an offering to this church, we give our tithes and offerings, that is an act of worship. We're, we're not thinking about how it's going to be used. We're not thinking about, I'm just thinking about, I want to honor God with what he's honored me. I want to respond to him. I want to learn to be more gracious and more generous in every area of my life. And so when you think of a church, we think we, we are a church that really is committed to live by faith. It's challenging at times, but we're committed because we want to learn how to depend upon the Lord. And we have to place ourselves in, in positions where we must rely upon the Lord by faith. In John 15, 5, it says, Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But then this is the end part of that verse, John 15, 5, you've got to consider. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, I want you to consider that because you can do a lot of things without Jesus. However, in his eyes, it's nothing without him. So we can have a lot of activity in our lives. Without him, it's nothing. Consider the faithfulness of God in your own life, your own faith walk, your own faith journey, the different phases you are having to rely upon the Lord. 
It's hard, it's challenging, it's scary, fearful at times, but it's also so fulfilling to rely and be able to say, well, how did that, I I don't know, I'm just going to give God the glory for the great things he's done. I I don't know. I'm not sure how that all went down. That's how the book of Acts opens up. You have a group of people that abandoned Jesus, and yet Jesus doesn't abandon them. I mean, for those of you that have failed greatly, isn't that encouraging? There are those that have abandoned abandoned Jesus here at his greatest time of need, but he returns for 40 days and ministers to them and re-enlists them in the mission and the call of propagating the gospel of Jesus on the earth. Because of the faithfulness of this group of believers, you're saved today. That's our connection. The book of Acts is our history. It's the foundation of our church. We don't need to redevelop redesign, reinvent. We don't need to tinker with the church. We, we don't need to, to somehow say, well, you know, we're in the 21st century now. We can do things better. No, in many ways in the 21st century, we need to go back to the beginning. Like Jesus told the church in Ephesus, you got a lot of activity, man, but you've left your first love. Remember from where you have fallen, repent and repeat the first works. For some of us individually, you have to look back and go, remember when you were a new believer, when you didn't know anything and all you did was worship and love Jesus? Then you started to learn things and then you started to listen to things and then people, and then you were in Bible study after Bible study and now you began to love Bible study more than you love Jesus. And it just happens very subtly. You just love church or you love serving or you, you love something or someone other than your first love. And things can be so complicated. God's calling us back to simplicity, an abiding relationship, relying upon the resources that Jesus has given to us. Christianity is is not another religion. I would even say it's not a religion at all, but rather a relationship with the true and living God. Other religions, they have their founders, you know, their founders died, but here in Acts, it's a birth of the church. This is where it started. God invented the church. Right here at the beginning, he wants us to know, listen, Jesus Christ is alive. He did not remain in the grave. It's empty. It's not. He's not there. He's alive and for 40 days showed himself to people physically with the testimony of everybody seeing it. And then they watched him ascend into heaven. This is our history. As you're reading ahead, this is the foundation of our church right here, the book of Acts. Acts reveals to us how the Lord's resurrection and his life is lived out through believers reaching a lost and dying world with hope. How his resurrection is worked out practically in and through each one of us. And so Luke, the beloved doctor, we know that he's a doctor because Paul later refers to him. Actually, Paul, he traveled with Luke In the day, it was not uncommon for you to have your own personal doctor in the Roman Empire to hang out with you. Can you imagine? Paul needed it, man. He had a lot of issues. He got beat up almost dead. He had eye issues. He had mental issues. Like like the brother was beat up for the gospel. And Luke was there to encourage him. And he's writing to this man by the name of Theophilus. And I I think it's a, a wise choice. He was a lover of God, but he needed to know more specifically what it was about Jesus Christ that would require uh, Jesus to uh, live out their life in him, in them. Now, the book of Acts is a bridge. It's a very important bridge. So I want you to understand that 
if we didn't have the book of Acts, if you just finished reading the gospel of John, remember the New Testament starts Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are all known as the gospels. The word gospel means good news. Those four books of the Bible look at in depth the life of Jesus and they each have their own purposes. If you were to end at the end of of gospel of John and then open up your Bible to the book of Romans, you'd have a lot of questions. Like after you watch the life and death and resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, and then you open up to this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, you'd have a lot of unanswered questions. One of them would be, who are the Romans? And what are they doing there? And what happened? How did the, how, how did the message of Jesus get from Jerusalem to Rome? And who are these people? I mean, you can look back in chapter 16 of all the people that Paul knew personally. You'd have all these unanswered questions. What happens after the ascension of Jesus? What happens next? Will the story even continue? How does the church develop? How does it spread? How do these 11 simple, fallible people take the gospel all the way to Rome? The book of Acts answers and builds a bridge from the gospels to the rest of the New Testament. It's volume two, you could say, of Luke. So if you put Luke and Acts together, then you have the fullness of what Luke chose to write, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, you note takers, and in just these first chapter, each of the gospels ended with an event that's included in the first chapter. So that's the bridge. It's the connection point. For example, Matthew's gospel ends with the resurrection. That's here in chapter one. Mark's ends with the ascension, Jesus going up into heaven. That's in chapter one. Luke ends with the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's here in chapter one. As well as John ends with his second coming, and you'll see that as well here in chapter one. So it's a bridge. Don't forget that. Let me give you the key verse. Again, this is all preparatory and our studies coming up. Let me give you the key verse. It's chapter one, verse eight. And I want to encourage you to memorize this. This will be the pattern of the book of Acts. And notice it, for those of you that have a Bible with red letters, that verse eight is in red. That's because this is the, some of the final words of Jesus. And he says in verse eight, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I want you to memorize that because this is the outline for the rest of the book of Acts. But I want you to notice sometimes we quote this verse and you have the words up um, backwards. So sometimes you'll, you'll remember this. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. But it doesn't say that. It just says witnesses to me. The Greek word for witnesses is martyrus. And we get our English word martyr. This isn't a, an easy task as you become a witness. But notice you become a witness connected to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's not something you can just take upon yourself. Oh, you know, I'll be, a, I'll be a witness. No, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit gives you what's needed to be a witness. This isn't, notice, in a verb form. You don't go witnessing. You are a witness. So you don't relegate evangelism to an event. It's like, well, you know, I share the gospel. The other day. Your whole life shares the gospel. The question is, are you sharing it well or not so well? The the real question is, is that in your life, witnessing to the power of Jesus Christ in your life, is it provoking questions that are going to lead somebody to talk to them about their life, their sin, 
their issues, the, the separation they have from God. We are witnesses. There's just not, you don't go witnessing, although I'm not opposed to that language. Certainly, you can go witnessing, but you are a witness. That's what Jesus said. Now, let me show you how this breaks down for the rest of the book of Acts. Chapters 1 through 8 in the book of Acts is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. This is where you see the power of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. You see the preaching of Peter. You see 3,000 people get saved. Uh, The church expand rapidly. John and Peter get thrown in prison. They're commanded not to preach anymore. Ends with persecution. Now, it's interesting. Jesus was very clear. I I don't think verse 8 can be mistaken. It's super clear, even in the English. Clear in the Greek, clear in the English. You're going to be witnesses, and you're going to do it this way. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. That's how you're going to do it. You are going to take this message around the world, but you're going to do it first in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria were regions. So Judea would be an interesting, as you separate those, Judea would be the regions around Jerusalem. You know what Samaria would refer to? Not only the regions around, but the people that were neglected, the people that were, had prejudice against them, the people that were avoided. The gospel is to go to them too. Not just to the people you want, but to everyone, including Samaria, which would be startling. That was a startling part of the message of Jesus is that the gospel is for everyone, especially for the ones that you despise, the Samaritans. It's like There's no room for prejudice in the body of Christ. None. It is a sin. It is a sin against a holy, righteous God who created that person you don't like or you judge by the color of their skin, or by the country they were born in, or by the language that they speak, or the behavior of their life, they were created in the image of God. Listen, just like you. You're no better than them or worse than them. Did you hear that? I didn't hear a lot of amens there. Because because this is an area of our life where culture's conditioned us to look down on people. And it's not new. It's not like a USA thing. Although certainly we have our own issues. It's been this way from the fall of man. It's like, well, I'm better. Really? What makes you better? I have more money. (laughs) Okay. I do more. I was born in this. I speak this language. I, whatever it might be. The gospel is to go to Samaria too. And the gospel doesn't go without people taking it. Witnesses. It's an amazing thing when you and I understand that when we follow the simple teaching of Jesus, it's dynamic. It's otherworldly. It's different than what we may have accustomed ourselves to, what we call Christianity. It's just so different. And it's so beautiful. So Jerusalem. Now, the problem is you'll read through the book of Acts is, There was no indication really in the first few chapters of Acts that anybody's leaving Jerusalem or even wanted to leave Jerusalem. And you know what happened at the end of chapter 8? Persecution. You want to know how they got to Judea and Samaria? Persecution. Trouble. Trials. And you don't need to answer this, but consider, has a trial ever moved you? (laughs) Has it ever moved you physically, spiritually, emotionally? Has it ever changed you? Are you a different person now because of the trial you went through last year? Yes, yes, you can say that out loud, yes. Yes, you're a different person. 
God uses things that we have no control over to move us, to change us for his glory. So what happened? Chapter 9 through 12, the gospel goes to Judea and Samaria. Why? Because it was heavy-duty persecution in Jerusalem, and they couldn't stay. They had to go. So in chapters 9 through 12, Judea and Samaria, you've got Philip's ministry. You have Saul's conversion. I mean, without persecution, chapter 9, that's when Saul of Tarsus got saved. Like the, the guy that everybody wrote off and tried to avoid, he got saved and became the prominent person God used in the New Testament. You have Peter's ministry coming to a close. You have James martyred and dying for his faith. In chapters 9 through 12, you have Herod blaspheming God, and then he dies. And then finally in chapters 13 through 28, again, you can see this all. God had put this all together for us. From chapter 13 to the end of the book, you know what you have? You have that saved guy Saul. His name's Paul now. Missionary journey number one, number two, and number three. So that within about 30 years, the gospel went around the world. 30 years. They didn't have technology. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have YouTube. They didn't have radio. They didn't have television. They didn't have veggie tales. They had nothing. You know what they had? The Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit. That's all they had. I mean, you really know, you really know, don't you, when the value and beauty of your relationship with Jesus when he's all you got. That's it. You can't lean on anyone. I know it's painful. Don't misunderstand me. You don't, somebody abandons you, betrays you. That's painful. But you know what God's showing you? Even if your mother and father forsake you, I will not forsake you, God says. How would you ever learn that unless you felt being forsaken? How would you ever learn of the abundance of God if you haven't lived in poverty? And even in our own country, God's been so gracious to us that you know, poverty here compared to around the world is very different. That word's very, very different. You've got to use it differently. It's very challenging. We, we, we measure poverty in our country by the amount of comfort and ease that we have. Other people measure poverty like Jesus taught. Pray for your daily bread. We have to adjust our lives to understand that the gospel is for the world. So Paul's got first, second, and third missionary journeys. He ends up in Rome. So that by the time he writes to the Romans in about 57 AD, it says this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That's a powerful thing. A few years later, he writes a letter to the church in Colossae. We know it as Colossians. He says this in chapter 1, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So th this is a phrase to every known. Like it, there was a lot of, just like today, there's unknown parts of the world. This is to the ability that we had. The gospel started in this little city in Jerusalem and literally spanned the globe of the known population at the time. And we get to be a part of that. This is not a closed, done deal. God is still reaching people. But it's different, is it not? We're not in Jerusalem. So we have to take this, this model and we have to use it where we are. And this is how we use it. This is how we apply this in our own lives. We have a responsibility in Jerusalem, except our Jerusalem is Aurora and the surrounding cities. That's our Jerusalem. I know you, many of you come from all around town. You're watching from even different states, different countries. I get that. But for us as a church family, this is it. This is our home base. We need to be faithful in our city, in our city. We need to care about what's happening south and north, east and west. 
and then extending into the Denver metro area uh, and, and just kind of owning this area for the sake of the gospel, caring about every part of the city, every part of the neighborhood, everywhere. As God takes us around, we have our own Jerusalem. Then we're also to go beyond Jerusalem. We're to go to Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria will refer to our state, Colorado. We have a responsibility uh, for our state. Uh, and I remember some of the feedback, some of the pushback we got when we wanted to move in to, to get a radio station, and, and our goal was to reach the state. People were upset about that. Wait, we reaching the state. What about your own backyard? No, we do reach our own backyard. But we also have a heart for the state. We want to support every church in this state, not just our church. Like, we didn't do radio for us. We did radio for the, for the city, for the state. Did you know 80% of the population in Colorado is covered by the signals of Grace FM? 80%. 80%. That, that's not anything we planned. But that means 80% of the population live within a place where they can flip. And of course, online, you can get it anywhere with online. But that, that's the teaching of the Word of God from faithful men that are gifted in teaching. Why? Because we have a responsibility to Colorado. We have a responsibility to support other churches, to co-labor together, to encourage church plants around the United States. And then finally, of course, you know, around the world. We have world missions. It's not backwards. It doesn't start world missions. It starts at home. So we send Jeff up north, and now, you know, we had one apartment. Now it's two apartments. Ministering to kids. Ministering to kids that are here as immigrants, that they don't even speak English yet. So we use pictures, and we use things to communicate the gospel to them until they learn English. Why? Because they're in our city. They're right up the street. This is where they're landing, and they're here. So we're faithful here, then we're faithful there, then we're faithful around the world. So when you pray for Italy, you pray for Aurora. When you pray for Aurora, you pray for, like I was just up in Virginia, so Virginia's on my mind, praying for Virginia. This city that I was in is a suburb of Washington, D.C. It reminds me to pray for my leaders. It reminds me to pray that God would establish churches all throughout the country and around the world to change life. So that's, once we cover home, then we continue to, uh, to circle around, and that just gets repeated over and over again. What? What gets repeated? What Jesus began both to do and to teach. It's his message. It's not our message. It can't be our opinion. Something you'll notice in the book of Acts is that Jesus works in and through his disciples through the miraculous. Through the miraculous. Uh, so much so, there's so much miraculous um, just amazing things happening in the church that people will say today, well, I, I don't see the miraculous today. Somebody will walk into a service like this and they'll leave and they'll email me. Oh, I can't believe it. I, I can't come back to your church. Why not? Oh, the spirit just wasn't there. The spirit just wasn't there. What? What do you mean the spirit wasn't there? Well, and I know what they mean. You know, we weren't flipping around, yelling at each other, throwing things, swinging on the lights up here. And, and just it wasn't out of control, some, some out of control... I mean, some of you know what I'm talking about. You came from a church like that. It's just out of control. And then we all, oh, that's, they blame the spirit for things that are not decent and in order. It's a, right now, I'm telling, you right, I'm telling you right now, the spirit of God is at work right now. And if you're willing to receive, you can be changed. You're going to leave stronger than when you came in. You're going to learn something about yourself. You're going to learn something, first of all, about God, about yourself, and about this world. And if, if you allow it, it's going to move you and change you. It's going to give you a new perspective about your work, about your wife, about your husband, about your kids, about everything about you. Spirit's not working here. Silliness. Don't send me those emails. 
calm your church down for a while and teach the Bible. I bet you something happens. Uh, sorry. <laughs> but here's the thing about miraculous, okay? I want to teach you this so you understand. There will be people that will appeal to the book of Acts and then say the church isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing because they're not seeing the miraculous. Now, you have to admit, we live in a pretty logical, rational culture, so part of that, we just explain things away that God was actually doing. We take credit for things. We take credit far more for things God's doing. We take the credit for And we just need to stop that. I was convicted of that recently when I was in, in Virginia, ministering and pastor there. He was sharing the testimony with me, and they had prayed with they pray with a brother, uh, and God answered the prayer. And as they were, the brother was giving his testimony to the pastor, he was saying, yeah. And he started explaining all the changes he made and all the things that he did that led to this change. And the pastor said, no, no, we're going to give God the glory for the thing he did in your life, not all the decisions you made. And just re, like, and, and you know, we can be like that. Well, you know, I did this and I did that, and look at me now. Yeah, but you forgot where you were before that where God has done that work. So, you know, we, you go to the book of Acts and you think, okay, we're in a rational, logical culture. I get that. But also, I think we have overemphasized the miraculous by misreading the book of Acts. Because if you read carefully the book of Acts, you will find about 30 miraculous uh, episodes among the church believers, about 30 now, if you're reading the book of Acts, like today, this afternoon, it takes about a half hour to read it. I mean, you read 30 miracles in a half hour, it feels like it's boom, 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 boom. Everywhere it's happening. And if it's not happening everywhere, then man, something's wrong. But you'd be mistaken. Because the book of Acts actually covers 30 years of history. Not 30 minutes of reading. 30 years of church history. So if you average it out, God reserved for us about a miracle a year to highlight his presence in the church. Just to give a highlight of when he showed up. Now, I don't think that's exclusive. I think there was a lot more miraculous. But in the Bible, it's not happening every day, every day, every day. Boom, 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 boom. Healing here. Situation like we, I, although yesterday we had a brother who's been very, very sick, just got out of the ER. Doctors don't know what to do with him. And his wife texted one of the pastors and said, I don't think my husband can sit through the service. We'll just come to the parking lot. Can you pray for us? Anoint him with oil, like the Bible says. The Bible says if anyone is sick among you in James, let him call for the elders, anoint with oil. I said, yes, bring him here. Pastor said, yes. So we met him out there right before service, 5.30, sat on, he couldn't even walk, sat down on the sidewalk out there. We anointed him with oil, prayed with him, prayed for his family. And then this morning, I mean, this, this is, so we got to give credit where credit's due, right? So his wife texts me this morning, and what does she say? Thank you for the prayers. Uh, his speech is a lot better today, no longer feeling like he's falling backwards. Pass this on to Pastor Roy and Pastor Everett. That's where God gets the glory. That, that wasn't us. We don't have any special oil from Jerusalem that was touched by Jesus. We get our oil at King Supers just like you do. And, and we put it on his head and we say this, in the power of Jesus, we pray according to the will of God. And even if she would have texted this morning, he's sicker today. What are we going to do? We're going to pray more. God gets the glory. That's the book of Acts. I mean, if you want to stick around for a couple years and study the book of Acts, you'll be changed. <laughs> Maybe the Lord will come back before them, but I'm telling you, the book of Acts will change your life. The book of Acts will change you. Here's the big thing. This is the bigger thing before we head out. You're going to be on the operating table in the book of Acts. 
Not that church, not that church, not that. You are. God's going to be doing surgery in your life spiritually. He's going to be cutting away and adding in your life. He's going to be shaping. The Holy Spirit's going to examine my heart and motive. We're going to be tested, and we're going to be stretched, and we're going to be challenged as we study the book of Acts. As we examine the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit's going to be examining you. He's going to be doing that internal work. It might be, there might even be a little disappointment after a Bible study in your heart about what we read and where your life is. Actually, I hope there is. I hope you are stirred. I hope there is a little bit of, man, what am I missing? What's going on? Why? I hope you are asking those questions. The Holy Spirit would love to answer them. I mean, for us, I, we have to ask, why is the church so weak today? For a lot of different reasons. But one of them is, is we just haven't, we haven't really surrendered ourselves to the work of the Spirit. Or like Greg Laurie said, and I quote, in the long run, if we train people to be consumers instead of communers, we end up with customers instead of disciples. Imagine that. If that's our goal, and you know, pastors, they do have those goals. Fill the chairs, get the budget, all of those things. They get, they're just off track. The, the track that Jesus came to do, he came to, it says right here at the end of verse 3, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. There is a kingdom coming that is not of this world. There is a king that's coming, the king of kings and the Lord of lords that's not of this world. This world's not going to be rescued and salvaged. It's going to be replaced and redeemed for a better suited purpose for the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And right now, we are the people of God. We're not going to be rehabbed. We're, going to be, we're not going to be reformed we are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He's not trying to improve your flesh. He's wanting you to kill the flesh. <laughs> Die to it. Let me tell you, on that call with that pastor yesterday, I am so glad I was driving into the mountains. Because it could have come out of my mouth what was already in my head. See, I send far more in my head than I do with my mouth. Don't you guys look at me like that. So do you. <laughs> so do us. So do we. So let's take that into the presence of Jesus with communion as the worship team comes back. Let, let's, let's surrender to him. Let's just be ready. Put our seatbelts on spiritually and learn how to follow him. Father, we are weak and beggarly in many ways. Even though there are many successful and strong, we're also weak and beggarly and so we just pray for your spirit to help us as we travel this journey together and we grow. As we come to the communion table today, whatever that might look like, sitting in our chair, standing, kneeling, forgive us, God, for not only making consumers, but being consumers. For not caring about the hurting or the lost, or those in poverty, or those that don't speak English, or those that are being trafficked. Maybe we're mad at police officers, even though they are doing us such a great service. 
Maybe we're mad at government officials as they are simply in your hands. You said that you can turn the king's heart like the rivers of water. Maybe we've forgotten your, so- your sovereignty. We don't want to be angry and mad at everybody, Lord. Would you forgive us for frustrations? We all have them. We just lay them before you as we come to the table and remember it's all taken care of. You have our life in your hands. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.